if you have um you know like a music video without like girl on girl smooching and um maybe guns in them it might be easier (laughs) it might be easier so that's a piece of advice if you don't want to get shadow banned and (laughs) prohibited from making ads maybe don't put girl on girl and guns in your videos my next video is just six minutes of girl girl on girl with guns. Take it to OnlyFans, man. Take it to OnlyFans, you'll blow. This is the Almanac of Rap Show. I got opinions and they all factual. No news, just information that you won't be able to use unless you're at a dinner party trying to impress who's in attendance with endless tidbits of nonsense. We're gonna have a good time, I promise. You two rabbit holes, ready Dives, pulling out old interviews from the archives Styles, fads, trends, all of that It's the Almanac of Rap Welcome to the Almanac of Rap A show that still sells CDs out the trunk My name is Don Will And I'm a rapper, producer, DJ, quasi-comedian And your host for the series Today's episode is all about DIY artists And in a minute, I'll be talking to Psalm One Psalm is a chemist turned rapper who just released an album titled Big Perm and a memoir titled Her Word is Bond. She's also a founding member of the Shift Cooperative, a Minneapolis-based mutual aid fund providing relief and support to disadvantaged and underserved communities. That conversation's coming right up. But first, I gotta kick the ballistics. all know what industry rule number 4080 is by now, right? Well, if you don't know, it's this. Industry rule number 4080 Record company people are shady Thanks, Q-Tip. But what about industry rule number 4081? It's a silly question that doesn't even really need an answer, which means that I absolutely had to ask Gene Gray, Fonte, Rob Cave, Paul Barman, and Psalm One what they thought it was. And here's what they had to say. Record industry rule number 4081. Record companies are shady, yeah, but you're the record company. Um, and record company people are shady. Um, and so are the people signed to the record label. Don't let the studio write a check that your live performance can't cash. Chase money. And not yummy lady bun. That's a good one. Shadier. Every label that I'm on, my work was still the same. You know what I'm saying? Whether it was indie, major, big indie, little indie, small indie, my work was still the same. So do it yourself. Shadier. If I'm gonna do all the work, I want all my goddamn money. Record industry rule 4081. Subtweeting is dumb and get out hey. while you're young. <laughs> you, I, I knew you would come with bars. You came with real bars. Thanks, guys. The thing that everybody in that clip has in common is that they're all DIY artists. They bear the full weight of their careers even when they have help from a label. And in some cases, they are the label. I'm a DIY artist myself, and that ethos is at the heart of this show. I research, write, record, and edit each episode. Shout out to Dana Watts on the mix engineering and sound design. I write the show descriptions, edit the artwork, and cut things up into content to be posted across multiple platforms. Shout out to Alan Cole on the illustration and logo design. I update my personal website that serves as a hub for the series and send a newsletter out as well. I also make mistakes. Last week, I sent a double newsletter. The week before that, I didn't properly tag the video clips. And before that, I didn't even have a system at all. 
That's DIY in a nutshell. And a lot of times it feels like building the cars you drive. This is something that I'm very familiar with thanks to my career as a recording artist. Tanya Morgan in this. This podcast isn't really about inside baseball, so I'll spare you the gory details, but just know that for artists like us, if something goes right or wrong, all roads lead back to us. And half of the time, the things that go right are supposed to go unnoticed and make things feel seamless. So it's light on the thanks and praise and heavy on the complaints from the peanut gallery. Companies have whole ass departments devoted to doing all the things that I just described. But there are several artists who understand that building your own industry is key to survival. Like Alchemist, who recently appeared on Noah Callahan Bever's show Idea Generation to discuss this exact topic. Fuck the music industry. And just to be honest, like it's a headache. It's a fucking disgusting industry. And I don't feel like I'm in it anymore. So when I make beats and I produce on someone's album, yeah, I'm in the industry. There's no way around it, okay? Gotta get the lawyers, do the things, everything. But for the most part, I'm running a microbrewery now. You know, I'm banging shit out, doing shit at my rate, tapped into a fan base that I'm directly connected through, through the places that I sell it, and just totally in touch of the people. And it's a perfectly working ecosystem. So in that aspect, it's like I've bailed out of the industry, and it feels great. Which brings us to the subject of industry plants. Hey. What's an industry plan? Basically an artist that moves like a DIY slash indie act that's secretly backed by a major. This can end up happening for several reasons. And like any other slang that's bubbled up and become mainstream vernacular, the definition has gotten a bit too broad for what the phrase is trying to capture. But make no mistake, industry plants are a real thing. The views and opinions expressed by Don Will are his own. The research he did was limited to whatever YouTube videos he could find to help make his point. No one but you can be held liable for choosing to accept anything he says as a fact. I am John Hodgman, and I don't how, how approve the hell his message. did Hodgman get here? Who let John in? Hi, Don. Hey, John. Nice show you've got here. Thank you. I appreciate it. Shame if something were to happen to it. Anyway, as I was saying, the concept in itself probably needs its own full series to be explained properly. So that basic definition will have to suffice for now. But it should come as no surprise that industry plants are very upsetting to members of the creative middle class. You can't just put on the costume of a starving artist and take it off when you want. That's appropriation. It's also a deep breach of trust to anyone who's looking for a genuine story from artists they follow. And yeah, it can be fun to speculate on who might be one, but it's far more productive to focus on who's not one. That genuine, authentic story is what makes artists like Dochi ring even more true. She leveraged her YouTube channel into a TDE deal, and you can trace the sweat equity all the way back to her first upload. It makes Run the Jewels a double success story. Look alive, looking like I live life on a crooked line, doing fine. You want maximum stupid, I am the guy. First of all, fuck the fucking law, we is fucking raw. Stay tall, tall, oysters on the half jail, switch your ball. Life a bitch and the pussy fish, still fuck the raw. I'm a dog, I'm a dirty dog. Ha 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 
Killer Mike and LP teaming up to break boundaries of both age and label affiliation is one of the most inspiring rap stories of the past few years. And watching what artists like La Russell is building out in the Bay Area feels electric. Me and my pops built this like wood shop. The brakes went out, I wish I could stop. I ain't no mechanic, but I made the hood pop. Came from the bottom, I need some good top. We've been on the grind all weekend, deep in. Flow water, the deep in. We've been them corners and let it swing. No rag, no set. I'm with the I don't mean metaphorically building either, because while he built his good company brand from the ground up, he also built an actual stage in his backyard for small, intimate performances. And that's what you call community building for real bars. So you're probably wondering, like, do we even need record labels anymore? And the answer is, yeah, I think so. Mainly because I've always dreamed of signing the one. I mean, the whining and dining, the bidding wars, the million dollar videos, the, the Rock Nation brunches, the A&R who's a mountain climber and also plays the electric guitar. Well, he don't know the meaning of dope when he's looking for a super tie rap that's cleaner than a boss soap. But I digress. These days, there are so many ways to have a rap career that getting discovered and signed to a label seems quaint. I mean, sure, it still happens all the time. But you know what else happens? Like a lot? Self-released songs. In October of this year, Variety reported that 100,000 new songs are uploaded to streaming services daily. Spotify's About section boasts that the platform has over 80 million tracks, including 4.7 million podcasts. And just hearing those numbers gives me extreme anxiety. Like, if you walk into a stadium full of people yelling, how do you even decide who to pay attention to? What if you've got something to say and no budget to rent out the Jumbotron or perform at halftime? Record labels are essentially creative partners who, among other things, help you identify or expand your audience. But these days, a lot of them operate like venture capitalists. They invest in artists that they see profitability in or flat out buy them out. Y'all see what Elon doing to Twitter. All money is not good money. At the end of the day, it's safe to say that every artist wants help, AKA funding, but there is almost always a compromise to be made when you play in the majors. So what does a career as a self-funded working musician even look like? How do we fit into an industry that's not one size fits all? Spoiler alert, we don't. We just make our own micro industries. We stay adaptable and we focus on deep relationships with our fan bases. My conversation with Psalm One explores these concepts and more, because for artists like us, you're not only ahead of the curve, but you're setting the curve. We also talk about industry plants, making content, and when book readings go wrong. Let's get into it right now. <laughs> Oh, oh man, good. I'm thriving. I'm good. When it comes to independent artists and when it comes to just indie DIY or just, you know what I'm saying, self-sufficiency as an artist, you're one of the quintessential people in the field, in my opinion. You've adapted over the times. You've reinvented yourself many times. And you've had several names over the years. So Psalm One, right. Hologram right. Kizzy, yeah, Big yeah. Herm. 
But which of these names do you prefer and do they um, coincide with specific periods in your life or your creativity? Well, I am a, a best-selling author now, so I have to put my government name. But no, Psalm 1 is really, <laughs> just call me Psalm, you know? Now people are calling me Crystal that never called me Crystal before because of the book. And I'm like, look, no, you don't got to call me that. You can call me Psalm. It's all good. Well, you know, since you are a best-selling author, yes. we might as well get to the book talk real quick. How different is the publishing game from the rap game? The two worlds, I know they intersect in some ways, but what would you say has been like one of the, the main The tour, my book tour was way different than any rap tour. Whereas like you go on a mm. rap tour and hopefully you get paid for rapping. <laughs> I go on a book tour and I go and I read my book and then the bookstore sells the book. And then I'm like, all right, bye. Even though I'm such a rapper that I bought like vinyl to my book readings and like yeah. merch. I was like, now y'all buying something from me today. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. <laughs> like I just took a whole flight and, you know, I'm just going to sit down, read to a small group of people and then be like, all right, peace. Where are we going to eat? So it's a lot less <laughs> stressful than a rap tour, but financially it's way different. How do you figure out which excerpts you're going to read to yeah. audiences? Is it like a Yeah, city some basis? cities we just talked. So it wasn't even like a reading. We just talked about the book. But usually okay. for, for this particular book, I usually read chapter six because it has a lot of humor. Um, it And it also shows exactly what the book is about. It talks about my early years touring. And then it also kind of sets it up for the rest of the book. So if you haven't read it and I read that chapter, you'll get a real gist of what I'm talking about in the book. Now, if it's a room that's like super spicy, meaning like maybe a lot of people in the survivor community, maybe a lot of people who are in that community with rap too, I'll read chapter 15, which is like really intense. And it shows like, kind of like the darker things of what I went through during the rapper chick yeah. era. And then, yeah, I was wrong in Iowa city though. I read chapter six and <laughs> there are so many like, kind of like low key conservatives in there. I'm like, yo, these jokes are not hitting. Like it, oh, shit, it has been really? very interesting. Cause it's not like DJing where you can kind of like feel it's like, you don't yeah. know until you start reading. And then you're just like, huh, that sentence really was going over well everywhere else. But you can't just crossfade to another excerpt. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. it went, it went. <laughs> In that particular reading, it was the book festival for the whole city. So there were fans, there were someone fans there. And then there were people who kind of like wandered in and didn't know what to expect. So imagine wandering in as an older white man, wandering into my <laughs> book reading. And you're just like, what the fuck is this? You know? <laughs> That's the thing, like you're reaching a wider audience in those scenarios. So you kind of got to yeah. take those lumps. I mean, I, I, I look at it like a comedian. I wouldn't say so, like, you know? I don't know how book reading could bomb, but I'm sure that I'll figure it out. At some <laughs> point. I'm sure I'll have a story about that in about a year. Like, oh, no, I know how book reading can bomb. Now, guys. <laughs> uh, nobody's nobody's ever booed at a book reading. <laughs> young gifted and young gifted and young gifted and black, black. Bitch, you better not turn your back. So, so Bandcamp is a website that lets fans buy music and merch directly from you. And as a form of pandemic relief, they started a monthly program called Bandcamp Fridays, where they let you keep a larger portion of the profits. Did it make you feel a little more productive? Like, what was your experience in terms of output and creativity? When they first announced that? it, I was like, oh, yeah, we got to do everything, you know. Um, I just remember after a couple months, I was like, I don't want to 
be making music to fit a deadline. And I also felt that if I continued to just push to just have product, that it would get less meaningful. I think the first few months I was really into it. Definitely that first summer. I remember the June, June of 2020. It was the time where everybody was like giving money to black artists in particular, you know, and I donated all that money to families in need in Minneapolis and Chicago. And it was funny because that was one of the biggest Bandcamp Fridays I ever had. Some of the, some of the most money I ever got. And I was like, damn, of course I make more money when I'm giving it away. It was so funny. Yeah. <laughs> so that was something I was really, really proud of. From then on, we started doing like the big silky stuff. And while I feel like one of them came out during a Bandcamp Friday, we stopped trying to rush, you know? And if we don't make one Bandcamp Friday, then do it for the next one. And then also, newsflash, Bandcamp is a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday platform where you can always sell your music. I guess y'all fools don't know why some good rappers can't sell no tapes. It's not the company's fault. You sound so fake. You want to be in the trunk with the booming box while the young girls ride on your job. You can't do it like this, homie, so give it up. So you do so much cause-based work in your community, and it's something that I truly admire about you as an artist and as a person in general. Um, and I just wanted to shine a little light. No, on I you, appreciate man. that. Like, you have an organization. Yeah, I have a nonprofit run, right? organization. Yeah, I non-profit. try not to say nonprofit because as soon as we got it, everybody was like, "Nonprofits are bad." I was like, "Damn, I just got <laughs> mine, and I'm not doing anything bad with it." So, like, what? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's called Shift. Uh, the Shift Cooperative. It's based in Minneapolis. We started it when basically our neighborhood burned down during the George Floyd uprisings. And we realized that there were like no uh, grocery stores, no pharmacies within a few miles of our neighborhood. And that is, was part of the, that's part of the way you uh, destabilize a community. Um, so we were able to redistribute thousands of dollars, thousands of pounds of food and clothing within the last two years from 2020 until now. So it's something I'm very, very proud of. And I try not to brag on it too much because I just feel like so many rappers, if they give a dollar to a houseless person, they're like, bring the cameras, (laughs) bring the cameras. I mean, I see rappers who are horrible people and then they turn around and then they're just like, I work for the kids. It's like, you kind of don't. You kind of just like to say it when you're being an asshole. I don't even consider this as bragging. I consider this as like just spreading the word about people doing No, I appreciate work, you know? that because we've gotten so many big donations and I'm like this is more money than I've ever seen in my life in my <laughs> like in my possession and then we give it away and I just feel like that's part of the reason that I continue to be blessed, you know. <sighs> I'm so fucking tired of the way they want to do us. I ain't letting nothing slide. Fuck with evolution. I just got my gun license mailed to the bando. I'm in Minnesota so I'm thinking about Orlando. So you've made a bunch of things, but in terms of like your merchandising, what's one dream piece of merch that you like, you know, you 
a bonnet. I was supposed to make a bonnet with a friend of mine. You can steal that idea. It's fine. I wouldn't be the first person to make a bonnet and I wouldn't be the last. And um, our great rap hero, Shad Moss, has a huge line of velvet do-rags <laughs> and I have like six of them. So I'm, wait, wait, you have a yeah, Shad Moss like velvet do-rag? When I was in Baltimore for my book tour, like I was like, what's the blackest beauty supply store I could go to <laughs> before getting out of here? And when I walked in, there was a whole wall of Shad Moss deluxe luxury do-rags. And I said, go on, Bow Wow. You you going to be here forever. Hey, yo, what up, man? It's your boy Bow Wow here, man. Kill Char with the velvets. Kill Char with the silkies. Now this right here, this is that new thing that crushed velvet do-rag. The difference is it's got like a little bit of that marble touch to it. You know what I mean? When the light hit this one, it just hits a little different. Deluxe luxury do-rags from yeah. Shad Moss. We are in the future. <laughs> um, another thing we have to make as artists is content. Um, and, you know, there have been stories about artists being signed to major labels and more or less becoming... TikTok creators and it's taking them away from their artistry as musicians. Like, what's your take? How do you feel about making? I don't content? like it. What do you? I don't like doing like the little pieces of content. I like the longer form stuff. I know for me and my partner, we did the very silky show uh, during the pandemic. Big silky fish, taking real delicious, getting filthy rich. Never been a joke. I hate a punk or simp. Catch a punk up high while I talk my shit. And that was really, really fun for me. And that was like so much content. So yeah. I do like the idea of something that has like a longer purpose, but like waking up and it's like, damn, I got to do something for TikTok. I don't, I don't enjoy that at all. So a big part of being an independent artist is funding. We always need it. Uh, we live in a time of sponsorships and paid partnerships. And, you know, um, it, it got me thinking like, does selling out even exist anymore as it used to? Like, what's the updated version? The updated version, version of, selling of selling out is the last episode of that podcast where they have a lot of alcohol. Mm. I think that's a good example. I think a good example yeah. is, you know, a rapper who loses his audience to shenanigans and then just goes to the, like, polar opposite audience and starts yeah. spewing dangerous rhetoric. I think that's a, I think that's a good idea. Uh, Example of selling out. Stop being a Uncle Tom, you little sellout. House nigga scum. Give something back to the place where you made it from before you end up broke. Fuck around and get your ghetto pass revoked. I ain't saying no names. You know who you are, you little punk. Be true to the game. But as far as like you know, the back of the day, like our our era, like the golden era or even the blog era, it's like selling out, which is, which, what, what is that? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like if you sell out your community, you know, like, sure. So remember, like at the tail end of the blog era, um, there was this yeah. thing where whenever an artist would pop up with funding or come on the radar out of nowhere, they were considered the independent <laughs> plant, like... <laughs> what happened to all the industry plants? Where did the industry plants go? Have no, I believe stopped? industry plants absolutely still exist. Absolutely. Absolutely. Be like, 
one song and the next thing you know, they're on a, you know, you look at their Instagram, you're like, why do all these people not only know who you are, but like know all the words and like, I mean, they're getting completely spoon fed. I mean, I know of even some of my former rap heroes doing things like buying fans to come to the show, like paying people to come to the show to make it look more lit, paying like, you know, people to go crazy in the show. So everyone else is like, oh shit, like this person is amazing. You know what I mean? (laughs) And it, it still works to this day because they want us to all feel like there's an organic way for us to blow up still. They want artists and kids to, who don't know better to feel like all I got to do is just make this content, make this music or whatever, and put it on TikTok or put it on here or there, and then I will blow. Well, that still happens, but it does not happen the way we see it now without a major label stepping in. Um, it's very, very rare that someone who blows up organically did not have a little bit of like yeah. hidden pushes yeah. from bigger entities, you know? It's comedy, watching how the game goes. Industry plans you steroids, so as far as Hall of Fame goes, y'all got an asterisk, and ain't no getting past it. We all rap to get here, you were just wrapped up in plastic and shoved down the masses. Good it, I see your card, I'ma pull it. We don't believe you. You need real, need real people. Song, thank you so much for sitting down with me. I really enjoyed talking. Of course, talking thank to you me. so much. What a delightful conversation. But there are a lot of topics that we didn't get to touch on, so I strongly urge you to visit PsalmOneLovesYou.com to learn more about the expansive universe of Psalm One's albums, books, NFT projects, and community work. I'll also do my best to have the links up in the show notes over at DonWill.me backslash The Almanac of Rap. The Almanac of Rap is written and produced by me, Don Will. I also did the theme music, and there's some additional music in this episode by Von P. The show is executive produced by Syeda Blunt and Aisha Palmer with mix engineering and sound design by Dana Wax. The artwork was designed by Alan Cole. I'd also like to give a big shout out to the whole team over at Sonos Radio for their support. And special thanks go out to Gene Gray, Fonte, Rob K, Paul Barman, John Hodgman, and our guest Psalm One. Head over to Mixcloud.com backslash Sonos to hear all the archive shows and be sure to check out the Sonos Radio IG account for other Sonos programming. Also, don't forget to check out the Almanac of Raps IG page for bonus clips and interactive conversations around each topic. That's all for now. But before we go, here's Paul Barman with a few more industry rules. One, two, one, two. Industry rule number 4082. Not everyone can make art and a baby too. Industry rule number 4083. The industry problem, real problem, may be me. Thanks, Paul. And I'll see you guys next time on the Almanac of Rap.